to be in Genesis 39, if you uh, have your, your Bible with you, or if you want to follow along with us. Uh, I'll mention some announcements at the end. Um, that way we can just take the time that we need for the Word this morning. But we're doing our series on Joseph. Uh, if you notice, uh, our theme for this series is this, God's sovereign hand in our lives. And that God is always at work in our lives, and sometimes it may not appear as though God is with us and that God is working in our lives, but be assured that he is. And uh, the story of Joseph talks all about that. Last week we kind of introduced the story of Joseph, his family, his dysfunctional family, and uh, we kind of saw a little bit about the history of Joseph leading up uh, to where we're going to be reading this morning, and that God keeps his promises. And that's just some overarching themes when we look at the life of Joseph, that God keeps his promises and that God is in control, that God is on the throne, that God reigns. And we're going to see a little bit more about that today. So let's jump right into our scripture this morning. Genesis 39, we're going to read this chapter if you want to follow along. It says this, remember he was sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites. Now notice what happens. It says when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord, notice this phrase, we'll highlight this a few times in this passage, but the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving, giving him success in everything he did, he did. Let me remind you, Joseph's name means this, he shall add. Yahweh shall add. God shall add. We see that, that God's favor was on, the, on Joseph. And not only did, did, did his father see it, but now we're seeing that Potiphar, that he saw it as well. It says, and this pleased Potiphar, so... He soon made Joseph his personal attendant. Listen to these words. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and his property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. I, I wish I could find this guy, amen? How many of you guys want this guy in your life to run your home? To run? I mean, I'll just be honest. You know what? I would step down and let him lead Brad Hill. So I'm telling you. God's favor was on Joseph. His name means he shall add. He's living up to his name that his father had given him. His father favored him, but what we're going to see is it wasn't just his father. We see now that Potiphar gives him favor and, 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 and trusts everything to him. Every single thing in his house. And, and I mean, and it made the life of Potiphar easy. He just enjoyed life and let, let, let Joseph do what he did. He was gifted, truly gifted and blessed. And obviously it was God blessing him and God using him. And so Potiphar's like, go for it, Joseph. Just, just do what you do, Joseph. And something else about Joseph, I really like this. He was very handsome 
and a well-built young man. Amen? I love that name, Joseph, by the way. Well-built and handsome. That was the other theme of, that was going to be the other theme. I didn't know which to choose from. Joseph, well-built and handsome, or Joseph, you know, God's sovereign hand in our lives. But we went with the more spiritual one. Amen? But Joseph was well-built and he was handsome. It says this, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing it would be a great sin. Notice this against who? Against God. He still has his moral integrity. He still has his walk with God. They may have taken, and you'll see later, his name was changed. And Joseph may have been stripped of a lot of things, but he was not stripped of his faith in God. Amen? She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. He avoids her. He tries to avoid the situation as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. By the way, this is a premeditated, plotted plan by Potiphar's wife, okay? And she came and she grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that, uh, that she was holding his cloak and that he had fled, she called out to her servants. And soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into to my room to rape me. But I screamed. Very dramatic. She's a very good actress, isn't she? When he heard me scream, he ran outside and he got away. But he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. By the way, her story, right? That the Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and, and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. Notice these words. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Is that the last verse? Yeah, that's the last verse. So do you see once again, he shall add, Joseph, he shall add, God's favor, God's blessing, and once again, now for the third time, he's, now he's in prison. And while he's in prison, what is God doing? Raising him in leadership once again. The whole story of Potiphar's wife, we will come back to that in a couple of weeks, believe it or not. But today I want to remind us that in the midst of all that Joseph's going through, and, and picture Joseph, he's sold, he's a slave, 
He's stripped of everything, not his faith in God, not his integrity, not his belief in God. But then we see him now as he's placed in, in Potiphar's house, he begins to rise and he begins to become influential and have some authority and, and administrative authority and power. And, and we see God blessing and using him. But what happens? Life gets good. And I don't know about you. Have you ever been there? Life starts to get really good. And then all of a sudden, life punches you in the face. Amen. You know, it hits you again and it knocks you down. Joseph is falsely accused. Here he is trying to do the right thing. And day after day, day after day, she's propositioning him and trying to wear him down. And she even plans to have everyone out of the house and this is her opportunity and Joseph does the right thing. Can I just tell you something? Sometimes you can do all the right things and bad things can still happen. And I'm sure there was a part of Joseph that said, here I am doing the right thing, living right, doing right, honoring God and, and, and not giving in to my lust and not giving in the temptation. I'm doing the right thing and look what happened to me. By the way, have you ever felt like that? I give and I tithe or whatever, and, and, and I'm faithful with what God's given me. And then this happens, you know, fill in the blank. And this happens and that happens. And Lord, why are you doing this to me? And so picture Joseph. He's finally in a great place and in the best place that he could honestly be for, for being a slave. Now he's in charge of all the others, the entire household. And Potiphar is one of the, one of the, the most trusted men of the king, of Pharaoh. He's the captain of the guard. It's their job and responsibility to take care of Pharaoh. And here he, he has one of the most trusted men in all the kingdom. And the most trusted man in all the kingdom trusts Joseph. And then Joseph is falsely accused. He's lied about. And he's thrown into prison. I'm sure that that ate at Joseph. We won't have time this week, maybe next week when we go into chapter 40, but we'll see where Joseph does say to the cupbearer and the baker, I'm here, I've been falsely accused, and, and I'm in this awful place that you have, that I've been allowed, that's been thrown into against my will. And he says, remember me, fight for me, you know, when you're, Standing before Pharaoh, and you know the story, they forget about Joseph. What I want you to understand is this, is that God is at work. By the way, just, just to look at the sovereignty of God, Joseph has to be put into prison so that he can have a divine appointment with the baker and the cupbearer. You guys kind of remember the story? So God allows Joseph to be falsely accused and put into prison so that years later, when the cupbearer and the baker have their dreams while in prison, Joseph can interpret their dreams. But more than that, so that when, when they end up years later, Pharaoh begins to have his dreams. They say, oh yeah, two years ago, I met a guy in prison and he interpreted my dream." You see, understand as we keep looking at the story of Joseph that God's ways are much higher than our ways. His thoughts are much greater than our thoughts. 
and that God does keep his promises and that God is sovereign and that God is at work in every intricate detail of our lives. And what, you, what we'll see this week is this, as we're kind of building and leading up to, to see how God is going to use Joseph to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham and to the nation of Israel, I want you to see this, is that God is preparing Joseph for the position that he's going to put him in. That God is, is, is working in Joseph's life to prepare him for what he has prepared for him. Did you get that? Let me say that again. God is preparing Joseph for what God has prepared for Joseph. Sometimes God is allowing things in our lives and God is doing things in our lives and even things we don't necessarily like because God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. Somebody say amen there. You see, understand this, that Joseph had these dreams. They were promises from God. And Joseph had these visions and dreams from God. I call that the promise. And you'll see this throughout Scripture. There's the promise. But along with the promise, there comes a process. Are you with me? And sometimes we don't like the process. But God will allow us to go through a process before the promise is fulfilled. So you have a promise. There's a process. There's the fulfillment of that, that promise. But in the middle, when you're going through the process, understand this. Here's another P. It requires patience. Endurance. Joseph was 17 years old when his brothers threw him into the pit. And then God sovereignly sends the Ishmaelites and God's hands at work and they pull him out of the pit and God spares him because he had him at the right place at the right time for the people going to where God needed Joseph to end up in Egypt, right? He's 17 years old. I'm going to fast forward for a moment, but from the time Joseph is 17 years old to the time that he stands before Pharaoh and interprets his dreams, he's then 30 years old. He spends 13 years serving as a servant and a slave, and he spends a number of years in prison. 13 years. I don't know the exact breakdown, but I do know this, that he spent a good number of years in prison. When Joseph finally worked his way up in prison to be given this place of authority that we see, that probably took a number of years. Do you know that when he interprets the cupbearer and the baker's dreams, do you know it was two years later after he interpreted their dreams, two years later is when he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. Everybody tracking? So Joseph has these these, these dreams and visions of greatness and of God blessing him and God using him and being in a place of authority and, and God's promise in his life. But what happens? What happens is this. He gets thrown into a pit. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's sold as a slave. He ends up in Egypt. And while in Egypt, he's stripped of everything, given a new name, learn a new language, and in the midst of all of it, thank God for this, the Bible says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He's now a servant and a slave. We'll talk about that next week. He's then falsely accused. He suffers. 
He's thrown in prison. He's in the dungeon 13 years. Noah, when God told him to build the ark from the time that God spoke to Noah till the time that Noah entered the ark was 120 years. Abraham was promised to have a son, that son Isaac, 25 years he waited. Moses, if you'll study the book of Acts, I believe it's somewhere in Acts chapter 7, just going from memory, Stephen preaches a sermon and mentions Moses. Do you know that Moses knew that he was called to deliver God's people? In fact, he got ahead of God. And remember, he went out and he killed a man. How many of you kind of remember this story? He killed one of the Egyptians and then buries him. Do you know if you read the book of Acts, around chapter 7, I believe it is, the stoning of Stephen, if you read in that chapter, you'll find this. Moses knew. He knew that he was called to be the deliverer, but he got ahead of God. It wasn't God's timing. And then the Bible says that he had to flee and he went out to eat, went out into the wilderness. And as he's out there, he's out there for 40 years. Remember this? Remember when the Lord says, hey, it's time to go back and deliver your people. He says, oh, no, I tried that once before and it didn't work very good. They wouldn't listen to me. Think about this. Moses spent 40 years in the Pharaoh's court. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness leading sheep. God put Moses through 80 years of preparation and training so that God could use him for 40 years in leading his people. Can I remind you of something? And this is our problem. And this is my problem. God is not in a hurry. Mark that down. If you get nothing else today, when you leave, just write this down. God is not in a hurry. Oftentimes we say, well, God's going to use me. I want God to use me. Joseph was in a hurry. We see him as he talks to his brothers, and he's in a hurry that, hey, look at me. I'm going to be a big shot. Look at me. You're going to come and bow down before me. Look at me. And God is not in a hurry. God says, no, Joseph, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a long while. It's going to be 13 years. The story of David, another one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. I love the story of David. But remember, David was anointed to be king around 14 or 15 years of age. He's anointed to be king. Do you know that it was 15 years before he, when he was 30 when he began to reign? What happened in those 14, 15 years? He ran he hid, went from cave to cave, had to run for his life, had to leave Israel and go into Gath where he had killed Goliath, had to go amongst the enemy and live amongst the enemy and come back. And for 15 years, we see David running and hiding and, and all that he had gone through. You see, God is not in a hurry. God has a way of, of putting us through a process to prepare us for what he has for us. I do not have time to go into all the scripture. And maybe some of you have never heard this and maybe you believe it or don't believe it. I believe it to be true based on some study that I have done. 
And that is this, is that right after Paul's conversion, if you study the Bible carefully, piece things together, the Bible says that he went to Arabia where the Lord trained and taught him for three years, where he received revelation from God. That's why he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. A lot of Christians don't realize this, but Paul went out to the desert, the wilderness area. The Bible says, look it up, he went to Arabia. And as you piece Scripture together, you'll find that there's a three-year period where Paul was kind of off-grid. He was off-grid with Jesus. That's why he was called an apostle. He saw Jesus face to face. Some of you are looking at me strange, like, I've never heard that before. I'm not a heretic, okay? If you don't want to believe it, you don't have to believe it. But I do know this. He did see Jesus. He received revelation from Jesus, wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. He spent three years or so with his disciples. Paul was the replacement. Come on now. And you study and you look through scripture. This is for your own study this week. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. One of these days I'll teach on it and show you where and why I believe it. But he was three years with the Lord in the Arabian wilderness where God prepared him. Listen to these words for what he had prepared for him. Let's look at a few other scripture. We're winding down. You ready? Hang on tight. Let's look at a few quick scriptures. Philippians 1.6 says this, and I am certain, Paul says this, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God is at work in our lives. There is nothing that comes into our life that God has not allowed to come into our lives that he is not using for some greater purpose. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians says this, for we are God's masterpiece. You guys hear that? You are God's masterpiece. Notice what he says. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things. Listen to these words. He has planned for us long ago. Do you understand? You are not an accident. You were created by God Almighty and you have a purpose and there is a plan for your life. As the prophet Jeremiah spoke, he says, before I was even formed in my mother's womb, you knew me and you called me and you had a purpose and a plan for my life. Understand this. Listen to me. Every single one of you, you have a purpose and a plan and God is at work in your life and you are God's masterpiece. And every little detail, when you look at the life of Joseph, you see God's sovereign hand at work in his life. Every little detail in the life of Joseph, God was moving, God was at work because God was going to use Joseph in a great way. And God was preparing him for what he had prepared for him. Listen to this. Look at John chapter 15. And there's a, I want you to see a statement here in a moment that a lot of times we miss. He says this. Remember Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Listen to these words. He says, I am the true grapevine. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to you and I today. He says, my father is the gardener. We'll come back to him in a minute. Him being the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Notice this. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and, I, and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will re remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, he says, I am the vine. 
You are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But understand this. He says this. Sometimes we we don't really think about this, but he says, my father, he's the gardener. He's the husbandman. And he says this. He makes an interesting statement. He says that the father, the gardener, that he says that those that are bearing fruit, what does he do with those that are bearing fruit? What does he do? He does what? He prunes them. He prunes them so that they can bear more fruit. Prune, not the prune you eat. Amen? Not the little, not that. But he prunes. Think about this. How many of you have ever had fruit trees or know people have fruit trees? Okay, what, do you, what does it mean to prune, literally? What does it mean to prune? What does it mean? What's that? To cut some growth back. To cut it. To trim it. What does that look like in our lives? What do you think that looks like in our lives? How does that apply to us? That the Father is going to prune us. It's interesting, it's even, the Bible says when they're producing fruit, what does he do? He prunes them back to do what? So it does what? Produces more fruit. Have you ever said, well, Lord, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm doing what you want me to do. And it seems like I'm doing these things and now this happened. Maybe it's God pruning us. Are you with me? You see, we're going to look and see here in the next few weeks, but there's some areas in the life of Joseph that Joseph needed pruning. I would say one was this, that he needed some humility. Joseph was bragging and speaking to his brothers. Yes, maybe he had these dreams, but we can see that he even realized his brothers didn't like it. And what does he do? He keeps bragging. You see, Joseph did have some areas, we would call them rough areas. He had some areas in his life that God needed to prune because God was going to entrust him with being the second most powerful man on planet Earth. And in order to have that responsibility, God knew that there were some areas in Joseph's life that God was pruning, that he had to work out in his life. And we'll spend some time in the next few weeks looking at these areas that God was, was pruning Joseph. One more passage, Jeremiah chapter 18, a very familiar passage. It says this. He says to Jeremiah, it says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go down to the potter's shop. And he says, And I will speak to you there. And so I did as he told me, and I found the potter, picture this, working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he, think about this, he crushes it into a lump of clay, and again he started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. This is, he uses this illustration and this visual as Jeremiah is sitting there watching the potter spin the wheel and adjusting and trying to mold this clay. He says, Oh, Israel, Speaking to the house of Israel, the nation of Israel. Can I not do to you as this potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. We understand that 
he uses analogy of the potter and the clay. And yes, he's speaking to the house of Israel. And he's saying to the nation of Israel, I wanted to mold you and make you into a vessel of honor. But can I say this? I believe the application is the same for you and I today. Would you agree with that? We see that, that he, the father, God is, he's the, the potter. And you and I, we are the clay. And the Bible even says it like this. Paul says in the New Testament that we're but dust. He says we're but clay. He even says that we have within these earthen vessels, we have the Holy Spirit. He says within jars of clay. You and I are the clay. And God wants to mold us and God wants to make us. But there are times that maybe... I love this, that God doesn't quit on us. He says to Israel, he says, you didn't turn out as I had hoped. He says, but I I took the lump, and he says, and I began to form and fashion it, and I made it again, another vessel. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't give up on us? And aren't you thankful that when we have rough edges, that he patiently faithfully works in our lives to work it out and to smooth us out. Can I say this? That all of us have some rough edges in our lives. Amen. That the Lord oftentimes is the potter. He wants to faithfully mold us into a vessel of honor. God was preparing Joseph for what he had prepared for him. God is at work in our lives. I'm going to have Paul look back there. Wave your hand once, Paul, real quick. Wave your hand. Everybody look back and see Paul. Wave your hand. This is just an example. Just recently, Paul has become a chaplain here for the Iron County Sheriff's Department. Kind of in and through our church, but he's now a chaplain. How many years did you serve as a deputy? In California? 32 years. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I feel led to just share just an example. 32 years, sheriff, worked at the court. 32 years, God used that in his life to prepare him, I believe, for a whole new ministry and mission, something he's doing right here in Iron County. He had to go through and experience the loss of his wife. It was through cancer, correct? Through cancer. An unexpected tragedy of losing his daughter in a car accident. And he experienced grief and he experienced loss. Suffering. Getting to know Paul, he shares that God used, obviously, his work. But more importantly, that that God used the loss of his wife and the loss of his daughter to bring him to an intimate, personal relationship with God the Father. And through that experience of loss and suffering and going through those trials, God has used all all of that to put him in a place and a position to use it so that he can help the officers and help people in this community who are going through grief and loss, and and as well, experiencing what he experienced in 32 years as a law enforcement officer, he can now be there to encourage and help our officers in our community who have to see the things that he had to see. Is this making sense? Let me just finish by saying this. 
in your life, you're going to experience trial, trouble, tribulation, trauma. In your life, you are going to go through difficult times. You will suffer. You will suffer. Okay, Jesus told his followers, you will suffer. You will go through difficult times. Understand this. Our response can be one of two things. We can either get bitter or we can get better. Through what Joseph went through in his life, he did not get bitter at God. He allowed it to cause him to get better in God. Amen? Our brother back there could have chose to get bitter at God, but instead allowed what God was doing in his life to allow him to become better so that God could use him. Understand this. The things that we are going through in our lives, God is allowing us to go through certain things because God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. Amen? God has a purpose. God has a plan. His ways are much higher than our ways. His thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. And God is at work. As we finish and we get ready to pray, let me remind you of this. When Joseph was thrown in the pit, God was with him. When Joseph was sold as a slave, it says the Lord was with him. When Joseph was falsely accused and thrown into prison, the Bible says that the Lord was with him. God never abandoned Joseph. And may I say to you this morning, whatever it is that you may be going through or will go through, God will not abandon you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and pray this morning. Lord, I pray. Uh, You're reminded that we started a series on Joseph. And we're going to continue on our series on Joseph. And uh, we left off last week where Joseph is sold by his brothers, uh, that lovely dysfunctional family. He was sold by his brothers. uh, And we're going to see now where he's down in Egypt. Uh, We talked a little bit about the kind of the history and the background of Joseph and his family. Uh, And uh, we're going to jump right into where we left off last week. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 39. As you recall, his brothers sold him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. And they're going to be taking Joseph now down to Egypt. And I want you to kind of just follow along if you have your Bibles or we'll have the scripture for you here. And I usually just kind of read it from there for myself. It says this, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar, he was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord, notice this phrase, we'll mention this a little bit later as well, but notice this phrase, it's numerous times in this one little chapter. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. So he, Joseph, succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Joseph, his name means God shall add or God will increase. Um, It's possible that His father gave him that name in faith because it was after Joseph, Benjamin, was born. And God blessed him with another. But most likely, it is this, is that that Joseph, it seems that whatever he did, God seemed to bless. So his name means he shall add. Yahweh, or God, shall add. Notice what happens, though. Potiphar noticed this, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. 
He put Joseph, he put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs, they ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. I don't know about you guys, but who, how would you like to have this guy run in your life? I need this guy in my life. I mean, all he was concerned about is what do I eat, you know? Joseph, man, what a guy. Notice what happens. It says, Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man. Amen? I, I was joking earlier, and I'll say it again. I had two choices for, for sermon series. It was either going to be Joseph, well-built and handsome, or Joseph, uh, God's sovereign hand in our lives. And so I went with the second one, all right? God's sovereign hand in our lives. But notice this gets the attention of someone. It says, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Notice we see Joseph's uh, moral character and his integrity. We see Joseph still had his faith in God, and, and, and they stripped Joseph of everything. We'll see later. He gives, he's given a new name. He's put in prison. He, he's stripped, if you will, of everything, but not his faith in God, not his walk with God. Aren't you thankful that, that no matter what happens around us, we can always still have our faith? Amen. And he maintained his integrity. It says this, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. Picture this. It's a day after day thing that is happening. But he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way and avoids her, the Bible says. He's avoiding her as much as possible. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. Notice in verse 11 what happens. It says this, one day, however, no one else was around. When he went in to do his work, this is premeditated, this is planned, this is a plot by Potiphar's wife to have everyone else out of the house, to get Joseph there alone. It says this, that she came in and she grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as, she, as he ran from the house. And when she saw that, that uh, she was holding his cloak, and that he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. Come into my, he came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and he got away. But he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. By the way, it's her story, right? She's, a, she's an actress. She's a liar. She's deceitful. She says, that Hebrew slave that you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. 
But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord, notice this again, but the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph, notice this, a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Do you guys see what's happening here once again? By the way, think about this. Joseph, his brothers were angry and upset because Joseph was considered the what? The favorite or the favorite. But we're going to see that God's hand was on Joseph's life. And that God had a purpose and a plan and that God's hand was on Joseph's life. And yes, his father favored him, but he wasn't the only one. Because we see that he's then sold into Potiphar's house, Potiphar, captain of the guard. Potiphar's the most trusted man in all of Egypt because it's his job to protect the king, to protect Pharaoh. And in that culture, Pharaoh was like a god. He was a god. And his job is to protect Pharaoh and, of course, the the kingdom. And so you have Pharaoh, who's the most trusted man in in the known world at that time. And and Joseph, Joseph then has favor with Potiphar. And Potiphar puts him in charge of everything and trusts him with everything. And then we see that he's falsely accused, thrown into prison. And once again, as he's in prison, the prison warden then gives Joseph authority And Joseph, once again, is considered to be the favorite in prison. Over and over and over, we see God's hand on the life of Joseph and that God was with Joseph. We're reminded that our our theme is this, God's sovereign hand in our lives. When you look at Joseph, the story of Joseph, there's never anything that's happening by accident. God is moving. God is at work in the life of Joseph. And God is not only at work in the life of Joseph, but God is at work in order for Joseph to be used in a tremendous way for God to keep his promises. There's some overarching, if you will, themes or truths, if you will, that when you look at the story of Joseph, it speaks to us. One, as we mentioned last week, that God keeps his promises. Amen? And in order for God to keep his promise to the nation of Israel and his promise to to Joseph, we understand that certain things happen in the life of Joseph. Joseph is going to have some struggle. Joseph's going to be falsely accused. Because God is sovereign, because God is in control, understand this, that it was part of God's sovereignty that put Joseph in prison. Now, we understand that, that Joseph hated it, that his, his reputation and his integrity and that he's falsely accused. And we'll talk about this in a moment, but Joseph's put in prison. But understand God has a purpose, God has a plan. Because God is sovereign, he realizes this, is that Joseph has to go to prison so that he can meet the cupbearer and the baker who know the king. And in order for the king to have his dreams interpreted, Joseph's going to have to be in prison. And and Joseph has to be in prison so he can interpret the dreams of the baker and the cup cup bearer. So that years later, when Pharaoh has his dreams, Joseph then has this opportunity to be at the right place at the right time. And so that he can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. 
So we're saying all of this to say, to say this, is that God is at work, that God is sovereign, and that God is in control, that God is still on the throne. Even when it doesn't look like God is at work, God is at work. And so we see here Joseph. Joseph is sold by his brothers. He's pulled out of a pit, sold by his brothers, put into slavery, and now he's on the slave trade, slave market. He's purchased by Potiphar. Potiphar brings him in. Remember, he's learning a new language. He's in a different culture. And, and, and man, you talk about culture shock. And, and he's used to being the, the favorite child and favorite son, and now he's a slave. But before long, we see God blessing him. And things are going really well for Joseph. He even speaks of it. He says, I've, I have a place of authority and I'm in charge and, and I don't want to mess this up and I don't want to do anything to mess this up. You know what blows my mind is this, is that Joseph was faithful to God. Joseph did the right thing. Joseph did not yield to lust and Joseph did not give in and Joseph did the right thing, but still bad things happened to Joseph. Can I remind you of something, church? Can I remind you something, followers of Christ, that there may be times that, yes, you sacrifice and you, you surrender your life to God and you are in obedience to God. And maybe it's this. Maybe you say, well, I give and I tithe, but then this happens. Joseph did all the right things and still bad things happened to him. Can I remind us of, of this? As many a times, if we're not careful, and I believe Joseph struggled with this, when you look at him later, we'll see later, that he, he, he reminds the, the baker and the cupbearer, he says, when you go, please tell the Pharaoh, please, please argue on my behalf. You know what the Bible says? They forgot about him. Forgot about him. But he is trying to plead his case when he was in prison. Why? Because Joseph said, I don't belong here. It's not my fault. I shouldn't be here. Can I remind all of us of something that you can do all the right things and bad things can still happen? Are you with me, church? I want to move on here. So you got to say amen. You got to be with me. Because sometimes we struggle Sometimes we, 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 we're, we're living in obedience, and yes, we're doing what God's asked us to do, and, and we're faithful, and it appears as though God is not faithful to us, but God has a bigger purpose. Amen? His ways are much higher than our ways. His thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. And so we see Joseph falsely accused, thrown into prison, And I want to remind you of something, and that is this. It's a statement that I'm going to kind of make numerous times, and it's kind of the thought for today, but it is this. is that God was preparing Joseph for what God had prepared for Joseph. In our lives, there may be things that come into our life, events and trials and tribulations and struggles. Listen to me, tragedy, trauma. There may be these things that come into our life is because God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And God is using it to prepare us for what he has prepared for us. You see, God had made promises to the nation of Israel. And through Joseph, God's going to fulfill those promises. God made a promise, if you will, through visions and dreams to Joseph that God would make him into a great leader and that God was going to use him. 
And can I tell you something? God, oftentimes in our own lives, God makes promises to us, obviously through his word and through his spirit. But can I remind you of something? Let me just emphasize it like this. There's a promise, and then there's oftentimes the fulfilled promise, but in the middle there's what's called a process. Are you with me? There is a process. And in order to go through that process, can I tell you something? What's needed is this, patience or what we call endurance. Because understand this, when Joseph was dreaming these dreams as a teenage boy, and as he was sharing his goals, his dreams, these visions that God had given him, the promise from God, do you understand that Joseph at 17 years old had this promise, and he had, if you will, these dreams, but it wasn't until he was 30 that he stands before Pharaoh. This means 13 years of Joseph's life is going to be suffering and trial and tribulation. He's going to be falsely accused and he's going to be imprisoned. One, he, he's thrown into a pit. After he's thrown into a pit, he's probably thinking, where do, where, do, where do these dreams, now where are these dreams? Where are these promises from you, God? Thinking he's going to be left for dead. Then they take him out of the pit and he's sold as a slave and he's treated less than human for quite some time. Can't even imagine what it must have been like for Joseph as he stood there and being gawked at and looked at and treated like he's a, like a, like a, like cattle. Like not even human. No regard for him. And he's bought by chance by God's sovereign hand by a man named Potiphar. Can you imagine the suffering and what he's going through? And now he's a servant and a slave, but things get better. But then he ends up falsely accused and he's in prison. 13 years Joseph is going through trial. 13 years Joseph has to go through this process in order for God to make Joseph the man that he needs to be to fulfill the role that God has for him. As you look through scripture, you'll see that God does this often. Not only did he do it to Joseph, but when you look at the story of Noah, when God told Noah, he says that there's going to be a great flood and I'm going to use you to preserve mankind. From the time that God told him till the time that Noah entered the ark, it was 120 years. That is a long time. 120 years. Abraham received the promise that he would have a son. And that through this son would become this great nation. Do you realize that Abraham received the promise, but there were 25 years that he had to wait for the fulfillment of that promise. And there was a great process that he went through and there was testing and there was trial. And there was even a time where God asked Abraham to shed the blood of his, his only son. Remember? He said, take him to Mount Moriah and there offer him up as a sacrifice. It was all a part of the process. God was preparing Abraham for what God had prepared for him. How about Moses? Moses spent 40 years in the Pharaoh's household. 40 years learning the ways of the Egyptians and the ways of Pharaoh. And the Bible tells us that then he sees how his people are being treated and, and he, he tries to take a leadership role and responsibility and he even tries to break up a fight and he even kills an Egyptian in the midst of it and buries him. You guys kind of remember this? And then he, he tries to kind of say, let's go. What, and, and 
And even his own people, his own Jewish people said, who are you? Are you supposed to be our deliverer? And Moses had to flee. He had to run. A lot of people don't catch this in the scripture. But if you go to the New Testament and you read in the book of Acts where Stephen is preaching, he uses Moses as an example. He uses Moses as an example that Moses, when he was 40 years of age, he knew that he was going to be the deliverer, that he should be the deliverer. And that's why he did what he did. But the people were not ready. It was not God's timing. And so Moses has to go out into the wilderness where he leads the sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. Interesting that he is having to go through 40 years in Pharaoh's court, 40 years out in the, in the, the wilderness leading sheep so that God could prepare him to deliver his people and to use Moses for 40 years of service. Boy, that kind of stinks, doesn't it? Training for 80 years to do 40 years of work. I, I said this earlier, and I'm going to say it to, the, to you as well. Please understand this. Do not miss this. God is never in a hurry. He isn't. How many of you have kind of starting to figure that out? God is not in a hurry. We oftentimes want to rush God and we are in a hurry. I look at the life of David. If you study the life of David, again, this is so important, but David was anointed to be king. Remember when he stood before Samuel and he, he goes through and he's not him, not him. And, and they're like, well, which one? And well, there's one more. He's out in the fields. Surely it's not him. When they bring him before, before Samuel, he anoints uh, David to be the next king of Israel. Remember, and that's the promise of God. And he was anointed and the prophet of God anointed him. But do you understand? It was not until David turned 30 that he began to reign in the nation of Israel. He had to go through 15 years of struggle, 15 years of running and hiding for his life and living in caves and living uh, and, and, and running from Saul who tried to kill him numerous times. You say, what, what is this all about? God is not in a hurry and God is often times taking us through a process. I'll say it like this because I coach. You have to trust the process. And in order to trust the process, it means this, there needs to be patience. And all God's people said, patience. Patiently enduring, going through the process. Paul, the apostle Paul, his name was once Saul. It says on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, to imprison Christians, he saw the light, amen? And he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had an encounter. And we know that later Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. And I don't have time to go into all the scripture, but I firmly believe this. I can use some scripture to kind of confirm what I'm about to tell you. But a lot of people have never caught this. But it is this, that Paul, after his conversion went to the desert of Arabia where the Lord God himself, the Lord Jesus, trained Paul. And for three years, Paul was in the Arabian desert being prepared for what God had prepared for Paul. This is where Paul received the revelations from God. And by the way, it's why Paul wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. Some of you are looking at me strange, like the first service was looking at me strange. Like, huh? I didn't hear that. Didn't know about it. Do your own research. I'm not trying to convince anyone to believe what I believe, but I believe there's quite a bit of research. And if you really study the scriptures, you will see that there is a three-year period where Paul goes to Arabia and where he's trained by the Lord. By the way, he, 
he, he was the one who took the place of Judas, amen, who saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus trained his disciples for about three years face to face. And he trained the apostle Paul. Paul received revelation from the Lord. This is why we have three-fourths of the New Testament written by the apostle Paul, amen. But there was a process. Some of you are still trying to take that in. He did what? He went where? How many of you have never heard that before? It's okay to be honest. Quite a few. All right. Well, you learned something new today. Amen? Paul was being prepared by God for what God had prepared for him. A few quick scriptures this morning. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this. Paul says to Philippians, to you and I as well, he says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You see, God is doing a work in all of our lives. He's not finished with us. Amen? The next passage, it says in Ephesians, Paul says to the church in Ephesus and to you and I, in Ephesians 2.10, he says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Listen to me, you and I, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he, he planned for us long ago. Do you understand that God has a purpose for your life, that God has a plan for your life? Listen to me, you are not an accident, amen? We are not an accident. Somehow we just did not come from some pre-mortal soup somewhere, okay? And somehow we've just evolved. And that we were, you know, once, you know, I was one, once a monkey swinging from a tree. Now I am a professor with a PhD. That is not true, okay? That is not true. The whole story goes like this. I was once an amoeba waiting to begin. Then I was a fishy with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey swinging from a tree. Now I am a professor with a PhD. Okay, anyway. <laughs> you like that, don't you? See, you, you got that was extra. The first service didn't get that. But you are not an accident. And God, God loved you and created you and God breathed into you the breath of life. And God is at work in our lives. And may I say to you, in Joseph's life, God was at work. God was preparing him. And there were some areas in Joseph's life that God needed to, to change and God needed to mold to make Joseph into the man that he needed to be to fulfill the role that God had for him. Understand that there will be a process and that God is creating a masterpiece. And when he creates this masterpiece, he will patiently work through a process to get us to where we need to be and to be what we need to be in order to do what God has called us to do. He says, long before, he says, long ago, I have plans for you. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, a very familiar passage, that I am the vine passage. John 15 says this, he says this, Jesus said, I am the true grapevine. And my father, listen to these words, he says, my father, he's the gardener or the husbandman. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Notice this phrase. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. Say, so it'll do what? Produce even more. We'll come back to that in a moment. He says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in, in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. 
Yes, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says this, my father, he's the gardener. Now put this in perspective and think about how does this apply to us. And he says that the the branches that produce fruit, you know what he does to them? He says those that are producing fruit, what does he say? He says, says, the father prunes them. He cuts them. He trims them back so that they can do what? So they can do what? Bring what? More fruit. What does that look like in our lives? What do we mean by that? What is Jesus saying? I believe this with all my heart. Jesus is saying that even though you and I are being faithful and even though we may be producing fruit, there are times where God is going to prune us. He's going to trim away. He's going to trim away and he's going to do some cutting and he's going to do some trimming so that what? We can produce more fruit. You see, Joseph needed some pruning in his life. Joseph is going to be given a great responsibility of being the second most powerful man in all of of, of the known world. And in order for him to be able to handle that responsibility, God realized that Joseph had some areas in his life that needed pruned and needed trimmed. Are you with me this morning? I would say that Joseph probably had a little bit of pride He was the favorite. He had the coat of many colors. It was an idea of royalty. We know that he bragged to his brothers. It's one thing to brag to him once, but once you know that they hate you and they're they're, they're just, for him to brag a second time kind of gives us the idea that he was, he thought he was the stuff. Are you with me? And so the Lord God's going to prepare Joseph. He's going to take him through this process of humility and humbling him pruning and trimming and for the purpose that he grows through it. One last passage, Jeremiah chapter 18. Listen to what Jeremiah says. I love this analogy, beautiful picture. It says this, it says, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said to Jeremiah, he says, go down to the potter's shop. He says, go down to the potter's shop and I'm going to speak to you there. He's going to use a visual He said, so I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again, and he started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. Oh, Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. I understand that in this passage it is God speaking through through Jeremiah to the nation of Israel. And he's saying to Israel that I am the potter and you are the clay. But I believe the application applies to each of us today. Would you agree? That God is doing a work in our lives. And I love this, that that God doesn't give up on us, amen? And God God doesn't quit. And he says says to Israel, I was trying to make you into something. And he says, and you didn't turn out the way you were supposed to. He says, but I'm going to make it again. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't quit on us? And so he takes the the lump and he begins to, 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 to smash it and crush it. And he begins to reform it. 
And, and as it's spinning there on the wheel, I picture an idea as he's spinning and he's applying the friction and the pressure. And, and as he's taking the water and spinning the wheel, he's taking out the rough edges. I don't know about you, but there's always some rough edges in our lives that God can smooth over. Amen. The Bible tells us that God is at work in our lives. We see here that Jeremiah, he gets this message from the Lord that, that God has a desire to, to mold the nation of Israel. I want to remind each and every one of us as, as followers of God and as followers of Jesus Christ that God has a purpose. God has a plan for our lives. And that there's going to be times where God, like he did in the life of Joseph, by his sovereign hand, he is allowing things into our lives because he's trying to mold us and make us so that we can be prepared for what God has prepared for us. That God is taking us through a process. That yes, there's the promise of God. And oftentimes we see the promise, but in the process we, we lose sight of what God is doing in our lives and why God is doing it. God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. Joseph was going to be given tremendous, tremendous responsibility. He had this dream, he had this vision, he had these promises from God. And I'm sure, like most of us, he wanted it right now. But God's not in a hurry, is he? And God's like, well, Joseph, you're going to have to go through a lot of time and a lot of trial and a lot of tribulation because I'm making you into something. I'm making you into a vessel of honor. You know, God desires to do the same with us. Paul says it like this. It's interesting, but he says this. He says that we have within these earthen treasures, with, he calls it jars of clay, we have the Spirit of God moving and working in us. Amen. We are jars of clay that God wants to make and to mold and to conform to his image. And, and he has a process that he goes through. You have to learn to trust the process. He's not here, he was at the earlier service, but I gave this example of even someone in our own church body. His name's Paul. And he was here earlier in Sunday school and now he's gone. What's that? Oh, I thought he was talking to me. He's talking to someone else. Paul spent 32 years as a police officer in, in California. He recently moved here, knew that God wanted him here, moved here, Cedar City. He said, God, I just, whatever you do in my life, I want, I, I want to be used by you. Anyway, 32 years, served as a police, police officer in California. While serving as a police officer, his wife got cancer. Went through a long fight with cancer. And long story short, he lost his wife to cancer. Through that, it brought him closer to the Lord and more of an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. And beyond that, after going through and dealing with that, unexpectedly, his daughter, who he was very close to, died in a car accident. She was just college age. And he had to go through that loss. And he said to me, shared with me that through that loss, it brought him even closer to the Lord. And so he retired, and for some reason, God just kind of felt like 
he felt like this is where God wanted him. All the places, he ends up here in Cedar City. Well, after the tragic events just down the road here in Enoch, and realizing that police officers see a lot of difficult things, he had to deal with a lot of difficult things, personally in his own life, but as an officer, to go through so many different things, God put it on his heart to be a chaplain. And so he went through the steps and the process and the training. And a long story short, he's now a chaplain for our, our Iron County uh, Sheriff Department. And he does ride-alongs and he just listens and talks and prays for, for these, these folks who have to see and, and do hard things. And so God is using him. 32 years of police work, experience of grief and the loss of his wife and the loss of his daughter... God is using that in his life now so that he can serve our community. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay. I share that because I say that that's within our own body just an example of someone who's going through difficult times not realizing what God is preparing them for. Does this make sense? That God was preparing him years ago for something he didn't even know God was going to do in his life. And now he sees the big picture. Amen? And so God may be preparing you for something you don't even know that God's going to do in your life down the road. But know this, that the Lord was with Joseph. In this short passage, can I tell you something? At least three and near four times, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. God did not abandon Joseph. When you're going through trial, when you're going through difficult times, please understand this, that God has not abandoned you, amen? And that the Lord is with you. And that God has a greater purpose and that God has a greater plan. God was preparing Joseph for what he had prepared for him. God may be preparing you for something you have no clue that he's going to do and use you for somewhere down the road. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. It's encouraging to know that when we're going through things, we know that there's a sovereign God that's at work in every intricate detail of our lives. God loves you. He is with you. And he has not abandoned you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and have a word of prayer this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. How encouraging it is. How awesome and powerful the word of God is in our lives. Father, I pray that we would trust the process. That, Lord, you are doing a work in each of our lives. That you love each one uniquely and individually. You love each one. That you have a purpose. You have a plan for each of our lives. And that we are not an accident. As you told Jeremiah that before you were even born, as you were being formed in the mother's womb, I knew you and I called you and you had a great purpose and a plan for your life. Lord, you have the same for each of us here today. And Father, I pray that, that Lord, we know that there are many promises. But Lord, before the fulfillment of those promises, that there's often a process that we must go through. May we trust the process. May we know that truly that, Father, that you are not in a hurry in our lives but that you truly do love us. You don't abandon us and you're with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to just truly trust you, 
to give our hearts and lives over to you to allow you to, to make us and to mold us and to conform